from the feature staff at the Columbus Dispatch. This is Life in the 614. Hi, and welcome to Life in the 614, the official lifestyle podcast of the Features Department at the Columbus Dispatch, coming to you every Thursday. If it sounds like fun, we'll be talking about it. I'm Ryan Smith, Assistant Features Editor at the Dispatch, here with my colleague Ken Gordon, and I can tell you, it's going to be a magical week. All the wizards out there can enjoy a screening of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban on Sunday at the Ohio Theater, when the Columbus Symphony performs the film score by John Williams. Wondering why everyone's dancing at Scully's Music Diner on Sunday, but you don't hear any music? Magic, of course. Well, that or it could be the wireless headphones that everyone will be wearing at the silent dance party, where three DJs will spin three genres of music, hip-hop, trap, and carnival, that guests can toggle between. But me? I'll be at Magi Fest 2019, the oldest annual magic convention in the United States, and one of the largest. And not just because my cousin, the celebrated magician Josh Jay, is one of the organizers. There will be more than 900 magicians from around the world gathering at the Crown Plaza Worthington, starting tonight and lasting through Sunday. There will be performances, workshops, and plenty of dealers on hand. The convention itself and its public gala on Saturday are sold out this year. But today, we have Josh on the line to talk about the festival, Columbus's important legacy and history in the industry, and the power of magic in general. Well, thanks for joining us today, Josh. Really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to be here. So, for starters, maybe you can tell us all a little bit about MagiFest. I mean, what exactly will be happening during the convention? So, the Columbus MagiFest is actually the oldest yearly magic convention in the United States. And magic conventions are events where people come together, magicians and magic fans, to share their love of the craft. So you're going to get shows, but you also get lectures where magicians get this, they perform tricks, and then teach how they're done. (laughs) Breaking the magician's code, in a sense. There are clinics and workshops, there are interviews on stage. It's got a dealer hall where there are 30 magic shops, each one specializing in a different kind of magic, and it's like Hogwarts as you walk through. There are poofs of fire and confetti cannons, there are sound system manufacturers, there are playing card collectors, there are coin gaff makers, every possible magic trick shop you could hope for is in one room and they come from all over the world so you put it all together and it's a social event where just under a thousand magicians come together and celebrate the craft of magic now you touched on something that i was planning on asking you about maybe a little bit later but we'll go to it now and that is revealing the secrets of the craft you know we have a couple of your books i've seen you do some tricks and and show how they're done tell me about how you feel about that and how some of the other professionals tend to to feel about that? You know, what do you reveal and what don't you reveal? Yeah, and and of course, the way magicians, if we're going to group them all together, feel about it is everything, right? You have some magicians who wouldn't want you to reveal a single thing in any circumstance for any reason. You have other magicians who hold the untenable position that all magic should be exposed because it makes the rest of the craft better. So there is no right answer. The line I draw has always been between teaching and exposing. If you're teaching magic, that's how you make the craft better. That's how you improve magicians. That's how you share your work. That is also, interestingly enough, how you protect your work. So for example, if I come up with an original trick, my only protection against having somebody else see me do a borrowed signed dollar bill in a potato and then they put the signed dollar bill in a potato in their show, the only real protection I have is to publish it in a magazine or a book or a download or do it on stage at a convention that's cataloged. So a lot of times magicians are 
excited to lecture on their material because they want to establish it as their own. Now, the Magi Fest has a registration fee. We are sold out this year. We sell out every year since my partner and I have taken over. And so it is mostly all seasoned magicians. It's a mix of professionals and hobbyists. Some people are getting into it for the very first time and they're nine years old. Some people are in their 90s and they've been to, I think our our record holder has been to 60-some consecutive Magi Fest. So it's an eclectic group of people, but the way we get around that ethical dilemma is because it's a closed room and we're sharing with the eye on improving magic. Now, how did this particular convention end up in Columbus? I mean, I know you're from Canton. You spent some time at Ohio State, but how did this certainly predates you. How did it end up in Columbus? Sure. So it has always been Columbus. And interestingly enough, Ohio's got a great pedigree for magic. There are many wonderful magicians in Ohio and that come from Ohio, and that goes back 150 years. The International Brotherhood of Magicians, the big organization for magicians, was founded in Kenton, Ohio. Now, that's not Kent, and that's not Canton. It's Kenton, Ohio, this very small town. And Magi Fest sort of grew out of Ohio's big population of magicians. And so we're in our 85th year this year. My whole childhood, and for, I believe, 30 years even, the Magi Fest was run by a Columbus dentist and professor at Ohio State named Jep Hostetler. And when Jep stepped down, they said that they were going to close the convention. They had run into some issues. The magic world was changing. Attendance was down. They were going to close it down. So three of us took over the Magi Fest, and we've been running it now nine years. And it's just been wonderful to institute our youth program and really get young blood into the Magi Fest. And we're having our biggest attendance ever in the history of Magi Fest this year. Now, I know this is going to be my first year in town for the Magi Fest, so I'm not exactly sure what to expect. But I feel like it's hard to have almost a thousand magicians in town and not have things feel a little bit different. Can you give me a little sense as (laughs) to what the streets of Columbus might be like for this coming week? Yes, I would warn citizens to stay off the street if they see people on brooms floating through the sky. Just (laughs) ignore it. No, it's really fun. The Columbus Crown Plaza, Columbus North, I believe, is the official title of our flagship hotel. Their staff tell us every year that we are their favorite group because you can imagine you have magicians waiting in line for the buffet at lunch, pulling tricks on their servers, making $100 bills appear under their watch. You have people in at the bar at night making drinks appear and disappear and their checks drum from one end to the other. I mean, the hijinks that goes on is pretty remarkable. On the last day when the last guest leaves and we're charged with doing a site inspection, there is truly a layer of playing cards on the ground and all over. Josh, this is Ken Gordon. Is that something that you guys just can't turn that off? I mean, I've heard some of the best uh, scenes at Magi Fest happen in the lobby just hanging out after hours between the magicians. Is that kind of the scene? Yeah, so you can't stop it no matter what you do. And, you know, a lot of what people come for is the lobby hanging. You know, we do one key thing that I think helps with that, and and this goes for anybody organizing any kind of event, which I'll share. It's kind of a tip we picked up. And that is we 
for every hour of programming that we plan in the schedule, we leave one hour open. So, for example, on Thursday night when it kicks off, there's a lecture from 7 to 8. But then the next event, a show, doesn't start till 9 o'clock. So from 8 to 9, you have two choices. Make friends, hang out in the dealer room, see some of the best magicians you've ever seen in your life, people from America's Got Talent, people from their own shows in Las Vegas, doing tricks just impromptu, the way jazz musicians jam with their musician friends, or you go to the dealer room and you see these booths and you walk up and you say, hey, show me something new. Hey, I like card tricks. Show me what you got. And so it fosters this wonderful atmosphere that truly is like something right out of Harry Potter. I mean, that's what people come back to over and over as they say, I can't believe how much this is like some sort of science fiction movie with people walking around pulling these stunts everywhere they go. Who are you most interested to see this year? I mean, I don't want to make you choose favorites, but I know there must be someone who's a little bit different or a little exciting, particularly for you. Yeah, I'll give you two names. You know, we have over 20 performers that are our headliners that we fly in from all over the world. We have, for example, the current world champion of magic. FISM is the biggest competition in magic. The winner of FISM this year, the winner of FISM six years ago, both in attendance. But the two names I'll give you that are, I think, a reason that a majority of people are so excited, a reason that people are flying in from as far away as Japan, is that we have the guy who is largely known as the greatest living magician, and that's Juan Tamarez. He's a household name in Spain, where he comes from. He's had television programs for 20-some years. He is our Picasso. From now, people will be studying his books. They'll quote his teachings like Bible verses, decks of cards that he's touched. People will be stealing out of his hands just so they can say, I have a card that was touched by the great Juan Tamarez. We had him a few years ago, and it was at that time the biggest turnout we had ever had, and so we've invited him back, and he doesn't accept many performances anymore because he doesn't like to travel as much as he gets a little older, but he's back. As a personal favor to my co-organizer and I, we study with him in south of Spain where he lives, and we convinced him to come back. That's very rare and very special. The second guy I would point you toward is Guy Hollingworth. He's our guest of honor this year. Of all the performers, we honor one with guest of honor status. Guy Hollingworth is from England, and he changed the game in the 90s when he burst onto the scene in his early 20s. And his sleight of hand, I would rank as some of the finest in the world. And he is debuting a new act for us in the gala show on Saturday night. It uh, harkens back to the 1920s. It's an act that is all very art deco, very tuxedo and tails. He has a top hat, and it's an act that emulates the great magicians from that time period. So we're all very excited. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of magic in Columbus? You had also said earlier, I think, that Columbus has a very rich history there. Can you go into more about that? Yeah, I would say we'll start with one of the fun trivia questions about magic in Columbus. Columbus, Ohio has interred one of the greatest magicians in the history of magic, Thurston. The great Thurston was in the vaudeville era, the greatest magician. He had ticket stubs that outsold even Houdini. He was a real character, came from an orphanage, and rose to become one of the greatest magicians, not just in his era, but of any era. He was a leader in many ways. He did early levitations of women. He did beautiful full-stage pieces when they used to travel by boat and by cart, and he is buried in Columbus. And let me think. So other Columbus, Ohio magic history. So I told you about Kenton, Ohio, of course, the magic organization that started just a few minutes away. And they held many national conventions there. In other words, in the early days, they would have just one magic convention at all in the world of magic. And it was often in Columbus, Ohio at the Magi Center. Our 
Nathaniel Hall got his start in magic before he went into other aspects of showbiz, and one of his earliest public performances was at the Magi Fest. David Copperfield appeared at the Magi Fest. So lots of really cool trivia in this storied event. Nice. What got you into magic in the first place? So it's interesting. The way I got into magic is that my father, who was not a professional magician, showed me a trick and didn't tell me how it was done. And that idea of being fooled by something and I had to figure it out myself was a big part of this love and this fascination that I developed for magic. And when I was eight years old, I'd been in magic one year, and my dad heard about this conclave of magicians in Columbus, Ohio, so he let me take the day off school. We went down there. We didn't know what to expect. And you know, Ryan and Ken, it's like one of those weird moments when the door opens and you see your future in front of you, and I just knew I was around my tribe. I imagine it's the same for a kid who loves basketball going to a basketball game, but the minute I met these magicians, I sat at a table and exchanged tricks with a guy in his 50s, a guy in his 80s, and our ages disappeared, our backgrounds disappeared, and all that was left was that we all shared this fascination with magic. And I have missed only a couple Magi Fests since I was eight years old when I had serious college exams at Ohio State. But for the most part, I've been there every year. They're my family away from my family. And to you, what makes a great trick? I mean, what separates the good from the great? Yeah, it's a great question. I think magic tricks at their core are stories, right? They just like stories. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end. They have conflict. They have resolution. Hopefully, they have surprises along the way. And they have clarity. And clarity is a hard thing to negotiate in magic because magic relies so much on surprise. But it is possible. It's even looked for in having both clarity and surprise at the same time. So a magic trick ought to have a narrative. It ought to have a reason to exist. A point of view can be conveyed. And you're going to see that throughout the weekend. And, you know, I hope you'll look for that. And you'll look, you know, you'll see the whole range of magic talent. But the very best magic you'll see is not a guy narrating his own trick. I shall place this coin under this cup. Now I will take a napkin and I will cover the cup. That's just narrating action. What's more interesting is when somebody can give you a narrative. Let me show you something that I saw when I was eight years old and I never forgot. I actually still can't figure it out to this day. This guy gave me a bell, presents the bell, and then you're into something that's really unique, something really interesting that you can't look away from. And the best magicians have those qualities. So I know you talked about this being sold out, and that's a great thing for you guys, but for future years, I'm interested, what is open to the public? This is somewhat of a trade show where you're sharing these tricks with each other, right? right? So what does the public get to come in and see when they do come, say, next year? Sure. (laughs) So magifest.org is our URL, and um, every year we put it on sale tickets to the big gala show on Saturday night and that's welcome for everybody, kids, adults absolutely anybody who wants to come and see a knock your socks off amazing magic show every year we get the best talent in the world and we put together a gala show unlike any other and there's always a variety act as well and so that's open to the public and also you know, you cannot believe the world of amateur magic, you cannot believe how many dentists, doctors, accountants servers, garbage men any career that you can think of, you have a whole subset of people who do magic as a hobby. And these people love magic in their private time. They love to do magic on their friends, on their acquaintances, at their church, you know, for the Boy Scout troop. And these people are welcome too, and we do welcome them to the trade-only thing, because you have to start somewhere. If you have a nine-year-old son who loves magic, the only way that that son is going to get better and sort of improve his craft is to put him around other magicians. And so we have a youth program, and we award scholarships every year so that there's no 
case of anybody who wants to attend Magi Fest who can't because of the costs involved. We have very generous donors that make it easy for kids and their parents to attend. They get free magic kits. They get free instruction and tuition. And, you know, it's a way that we can pass on magic to the next generation. I've really enjoyed watching your career bloom over the years, Josh. And it's really heated up, it seems, recently. Can you offer a few highlights of what's gone on in just the past year? Thank you. Yeah, sure. So it all sort of stems from a show that I opened in New York. I asked myself the simple question of how could I build a show that is ideal for the material I want to perform? And the truth is I'm a close-up magician. I love close-up magic. So rather than try and outfit a theater with great monitors, what if we did a show for just 20 people? makes zero sense from a business standpoint, from a logistics standpoint. But we put on a show in New York that is just 20 people per show. And further, we decided to do the world's first and only immersive magic show. So there are several different environments that the audience walks through, and they experience magic in a different room, each trick in a different room. The show is called Six Impossible Things. We opened last May, and we were designed to run for one month, and we've been extended three times, and the show is still running, and I think will end in December of this year. So it's been a wonderful surprise. The support has been overwhelming. It's sold out six months in advance. I think we're sold out through April right now. And through that, I have been featured in the New York Times and NPR, on CNN, on The Tonight Show, on The Today Show. We just, as I'm speaking to you now, I'm in L.A. I just left Masters of Illusion, which is we just taped season six. And all of these things have really blossom thanks to this show in New York, which has been so much fun to do. We do six shows a week, and yes, it's been a whirlwind sort of year. I wanted to ask you a little more about that close-up magic, because it seems to me that that's got to be maybe the most challenging for you, but the most impressive perhaps for me, and that it's not a large <laughs> audience, a big stage where you worry, you know, worry. I, I'm talking as a as a skeptic, I guess. I'm a journalist, you know, of uh, special yeah. effects oh, or I tricks, or, but, but to actually just be in a very intimate setting with the magician right in front of you and that to me is the most impressive and it sounds like you agree yeah no i mean i've dedicated my life to that craft and here's the weird predicament i constantly found myself in i perform in fairly large theaters and afterward i come out every show and i pose for pictures or shake people's hands and thank them for coming and i always have things in my pocket to show sleight of hand tricks things you couldn't possibly see from the stage and the reason we decided to write and produce six impossible things is because every night when I would do these tricks up close for five people, six people, right under their nose, people would go, hey, look, I thought your show was very good, but what you just showed is way cooler than what you were doing on that stage. And they're right. I mean, they're right. But what do you do? You can't do a trick with a rubber band. You can't do a trick with their pocket watch on a big stage with a thousand people. So I posed this question. What if we got rid of the lights and the misdirection and the dancers and the crazy stage four feet above the audience's eye level? What if we did it just for them? And that's what we did. Maybe for a seventh impossible thing, my next question, is it possible to do a magic trick over the air on a podcast? Uh, that would be a good trick. I will have to get back to you on that. That would be an amazing trick. We'll be ready for that for next year. I guess maybe on a different note to close on, could you tell us about the trick that your dad did for you when you were little? Yeah, sure. So it's a trick that was at one time voted on as the greatest card trick of the 20th century. It's a trick we call Out of This World by a genius magician named Al Baker. And in effect, you take a deck of cards and you give it to any spectator. And the spectator, without turning the cards face up, they're face down the whole time, is able to discern the color of every card in the deck. It's a beautiful trick. It's part mathematics. It's part subtlety, part 
slight, part topological, and it's beautiful. And he eventually shared it with me when I had more or less figured it out. And it was my great pleasure to put that in my book, Magic the Complete Course, so that I could share it with all of my students through the written page. How long did you work on that before he agreed to finally show you everything? So he showed it to me and he wouldn't show me how it was done. So I went back to my room and tore up a deck of cards or two, made charts and drawings and reconstructed. And about four hours later, I had the basis of it. And I went back and performed it for him. And he sort of said, all right, I'm going to teach you a couple of the smoother wrinkles to it so that you can improve it. But you got it. You got the basic idea. Outstanding. Well, I will bring my nine-year-old and we'll be ready to rock and learn those kinds of card tricks and more, hopefully, at Magi Fest coming up. I can't wait to see you both there January 17th to 19th. Thank you so much, Josh. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you making the time and the effort to join us. Hey, thank you both. I'm really excited to have you there. Thanks for the coverage. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's our pleasure. It's going to be fun. All right, good. Take care, guys. Yep, take care. Safe travels. Bye. Bye. And thank you all for listening to Life in the 614. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, keep enjoying your own life in the 614.